Hey, thanks for tuning in. This podcast episode features a conversation with singer-songwriter Barney Bentall. You're at Hughes' room, you're doing a tribute to Gordon Lightfoot. What's it like to sing in front of Gordon Lightfoot? What's it like to sing for Nor- uh, Gordon Lightfoot? Well, um, I was nervous, but I think that was sort of a universal feeling throughout the cast of characters that was playing last night. Uh, everybody expressed that. I, In some ways, I thought, well, I, I seem like I'm, I, I, I'm a person that's comfortable on stage for the most part, quite comfortable. And last night, you know, well, I hadn't been on stage for 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 well over a month, which is unusual for me. It was a break over Christmas, and uh, so there's there's there that was a contrib- contributing factor. But you know, I, I'm playing Gordon Lightfoot songs, and he's sitting there, and he's and he's he's he has been a musical hero of mine for since I was a kid. Tell me about how that started. Like, what what connected with you? Well, I you know I think the first record I got was. Sit down, young stranger, and uh, um, I was starting to learn to play guitar. I would have been about, I think I first got a guitar in grade nine. Uh, I played trumpet and the jazz band and a bit of piano, but got a guitar and I knew that I, well, I, I didn't know that this is what I wanted to do because I was growing up in Calgary and, and as far as I could tell, nobody took that path. I mean, people loved music we're all affected by music, some more than others, but I thought, I, I can't, nobody in my family has done that, nobody I know has done that. That was a really, that's a profound difference. I'll try and get back to Gordon Lightfoot as quickly as possible, but that that is just a profound difference in 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 the musical world, that, that uh, you could be, you could grow up in, Saskatoon and there's a thriving music scene Mm -hmm. and you could feel that this is a legitimate option for me I mean realistically it's hard for people to make a living in music so but you 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 can you can say yeah I'm in a band I play I'm a singer songwriter when when I started so this would be you know I think I first played in a folk club at University of Calgary when I was going there when I was 19 and uh talk about nerves uh that uh and and but back then nobody i knew did it absolutely nobody and certainly nobody in my family so it was looked upon like what what's he doing or yeah it's just this rock and roll thing you know i mean i was in a church family it's like there was that all that judgment that that would was brought to bear on, on, on my choices, but uh, I think they thought, you all guess he'll get that out of his system or that's a cute little hobby, but what's he really going to do? And and now, I mean, people, you know, people might, parents might be skeptical about, you know, one of their kids deciding to make a go of it in music, but it's, it's it, it, you know, you have a... a whole support system of, of peers doing it so that was different and I, I was I was learning to play guitar and Gordon Light, Sit Down Young Stranger was one of the the first uh, first records that I got 
mean, the first long playing record I got was the band's second record, you know, mm. with the, it started with Across the Great Divide and, you know, King Harvest has surely come and, and night they drove old Dixie down all those songs and that, 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 you know, I, my first singles were Beatles singles and, uh, I, uh, uh, I just, it really parachuted me into a, a world that I found endlessly fascinating and I still to, I still do to this day. Do you remember the connection? Do you remember hearing it that one moment where you thought, wow, I, I like this? You mean music? music? Yeah. I, here's one example. Build me up buttercup. I don't, why do you build me up? Build me up buttercup, baby. That was, it just had such a great sound. And I, I'm almost long for those days where I have no idea what was happening. And, you know, back then I didn't know what was happening. It was just a sound. Right. You know, if you, if you go into, if you, start bands or you're in bands and you're start playing bars the way we learn songs is you know like everybody be huddled around the speakers and you'd be i think they're doing this and i think that that's the drum beat that's where the kick is this is what the guitar players are doing and uh back then it was just a sound and there was such magic in that sound did you see a lot of bands like my i was i was playing the other day with bill henderson from chilliwack and I, I told Bill, I said, I was growing up in Calgary. I said, Bill, you know, you was, you, it was the first major concert I saw, and it was uh, The Collectors with Bill Henderson in it, open, opening for Fleetwood Mac at the wow. Calgary Hockey Rink. And it was the Fleetwood Mac with Peter Green in it. Uh, that was my first concert. And uh, my wife, my wife, it's... Uh, she, she loves music, but you know, I mean, uh, when we were joking beforehand about, you know, uh, knowing who played bass on such and such a record and all this trivia yes. that we have, it's, it's, it's a source of humor around, uh, <laughs> source of humor and major annoyance or, or minor annoyance, I should say around, around her house. But she, she got to see, um, Chicago when they came through town, Rod Stewart, um, you know, Tom Waits and Bonnie Raitt when she was growing up and uh, and uh, when the Rolling Stones came to Vancouver. Like, she was, she saw Elton John when he, he came, you know, when they were doing the trio. Right. She saw all this stuff. And I go, because uh, she was in Calgary and she had very kind of way more progressive parents. So they, they did that kind of stuff. I mean, that was another difference back then. I don't think nearly as many acts came through Calgary, but they would come, you know, Elvis played in Vancouver, um, and uh, and I think to have seen those shows was, would have been absolutely amazing. Well, tell me about the experience of seeing Fleetwood Mac and the Collectors. I mean, what did that do to you as somebody who wanted to maybe pursue music? Well, you know what's funny? I remember the Collectors more than Fleetwood Mac, and and that's because I mean, for me. It's been interesting to to you know get to know Gordon Lightfoot, Bruce Coburn, Murray McLaughlin, written written with Murray and Bruce, and and I uh, and you know to be playing with Gordon Lightfoot there. I, I don't think I ever thought I would uh, I would know these people in any way, shape, or form. But I remember Bill Henderson. There's two examples on Salt Spring Island. It's you know an island near where I live. 
in the Gulf Islands, and, and there's a lot of musicians there, but Bill Henderson and Valdi live there. I remember playing, they've got a wonderful folk club, and I was playing there, and Bill was sitting in the audience, and Valdi was actually mixing sound, and I went, I, this, how did this happen? Because they were two people that I really, I really, I just love Valdi's early stuff. And I remember going for my honeymoon over to Salt Spring and I'm on the ferry and there's there's Bill Henderson. He's, he's playing his guitar and his family's, it was real hippie land, you know. I mean, his his kids were, kids were around, they were just little toddlers. And I, I went, I mean, that's, that's Bill Henderson. That's the guy. And I was trying to like not be just a quiet Canadian kid trying to get sort of somewhat near and hear this. And, and uh, uh, it was... So there were Canadian musicians that were extremely influential to me. I always loved Canadian music. And uh, maybe it was just that one step closer to, 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 it was two things. It was that it was uh, a step closer. I mean, there was just such a distance in terms of listening to Bob Dylan or the Beatles or, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, Eric Burden and the Animals or whatever. It's, it's, it's. They were they were sort of international stars, but these 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 Canadian acts were well. Gord was certainly an international star and an act, and but but these these others were were kind of a bit closer to home, and so that was one part of it. You know, like it, it felt somewhat more within reach, and the other the other the other part of it was. Um, and it's 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 somewhat hard to define, especially back then. But came much more to the forefront, I think, with with Blue Rodeo or the Tragically Hip, where there was a celebration of Canada, or there was there in you know, warts and all. Right. But there was also uh, sort of a hard to define Canadian sound, and uh, which is wonderful if you're Canadian. It's sometimes hard for the Canadian acts because. You know, there were two factors, I think, preventing, you know, a broader audience for Canadian music. One was record company politics. But another part of it might have been that it's a bit of a unique Canadian sound. Just as our accent is unique, but we think we think our accent might be completely neutral, but it's not. We have an accent. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think our music has, uh, I think, some of the best music we've done as Canadians, has its own unique stamp and sound. So, growing up and thinking, this is fun, at what point did you decide that you wanted to pursue music and that it's a viable solution? Um, my my buddy that I wrote our, our, our early hits with, we were friends since we were five, and he... Uh, uh, I grew up in Calgary, who grew up in, in Vancouver, but we had summer cottages and seemed really close to each other. And we're still friends to this day. He's a, he's a lawyer and a, a litigator in Vancouver. Wow. But uh, he, uh, uh, we wrote all those, those hits, that, and those hits are the reason I'm still doing what I'm doing. And uh, um, when there was a point where I think we were both going to university and, and I had a, I had a sort of a small a kind of rural construction company going, I would build fences and small barns and, and I was going to school and, and, uh, and we, we, I just remember clearly we went 
it was, I think the, he largely, largely led the charge. I was starting to play in folk clubs. We were writing a few songs cause Hey, that's cool. We can, you know, it was, it was completely entertaining when you went to do it, but you still, you, you weren't, you weren't considering making this your, your, your life's occupation mm -hmm. largely because I just couldn't make that leap that, that, that sort of leap of faith. And as I mentioned earlier, no peers were doing it. And then he was like, why don't we just give this a try? Like, why don't we just make a concerted effort for two years? And I always said a two year thing. It's like, the, okay, two years. Did you and, have any idea what you wanted to accomplish in that two years? Oh God, no. You know, like it's, <laughs> I, I was saying to somebody the other day, there was no mentorship whatsoever. If you if you become a professional hockey player, I don't know what the system is now, but I know from you know the players that I've known over the years, they would have a veteran you room with a rookie, and say, uh, okay, you know you got to be careful here, you got to watch this. Mm -hmm. This is you know this is, you know you got to watch your you're getting you're drinking too much or you know like you're going to lose your. Uh, there's all this all this stuff, and. There was absolutely none of that. So you have you were you were coming up against, you know, my son is in the business, and I went. He just grew up watching all of this stuff. You know, like if he wanted, if he had a question about his musical career, he could ask guys in Spirit of the West. He could, you know, be with Colin James. He could, you know, like Colin James come up to our farm. You know, talk to Blue Rodeo. <laughs> it was completely, you know, you had these resources right. that. Uh, that we we had none of that we had less competition i'll grant you that there yeah. was fewer of us doing it but we had it was complete trial and error so you're you're dealing with everything you learn or each step you take is you know you probably made about three or four mistakes to get there and one can never uh, uh underestimate the value of that learning but you you know you're making mistakes and uh and and then you're also flying in the face of what your family thinks you should do. So 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 there's it's a double-edged sword. No man or you know no mentorship and no experience and and you know rebellion is a big factor. You have brought up your family a couple times already. Yeah. How big a deal was that? Was it a big battle to convince them that this was the right path to take? Well, I think that the only thing that convinced them was, was, was success. I mean, you know, like I didn't really talk a lot to my father for better part of 10 years while I was trying to establish myself. My mom was a little bit more, you know, kind of secretly helpful because, you know, there's the other part of the family that's, that's my, my family. I, at a very early age, we started having kids. So we were trying to do this this trial and error uh, um, uh, journey into the music business and we had kids and it was just, I'm sure, I'm sure from my parents' perspective, it was just like a major shit show. They, they <laughs> couldn't, you know, what, what, what are they doing? But the two years, did you think, hopefully, 
Let's try this for two years. Did that mean that after two years, hopefully you had a record? Or did it mean that hopefully you were making money playing live? Well, we made some recordings. The thing is, the two years was just like a, such a stupid, arbitrary <laughs> thing. Because all of a sudden, wow, it's five years. Right. Got a couple of kids, still doing it, building some fences on the side, playing clubs. My wife's trying to go to acting school, which she was in with John Mann um, from Spirit of the West. And I... we. We and there was this collective, and and John and Jeffrey Kelly from Spirit of the West. He was a heavy-duty transmission mechanic. The others were in acting, but we we're all. I was the one that was dab, dabbling in music. I like it was in full full time doing music. And Craig Northy from the Odds was our guitar tech. Hmm. Uh, and there was this this collective. So it was a real wonderful circle of friends and uh, and people with the same sort of same drives and aspirations. And we're still all friends to this day. We're, we're extremely close, that, that sort of crew out, that Vancouver crew. And, um, uh, you know, when everybody was over Colin James' place for New Year's, we, we had, were up at a farm, so we couldn't be there. But it's just that that collective stays together and it's, right. it's very 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 key to it but uh you know back then we were we were they there was a certain point where you know all of a sudden five years had gone by and you're you're you know you're playing dances you're playing bars you're playing anything you can play anybody that'll have you and you're recording where you can you're starting to put together little studios yourself and uh and it just at that point it's it's like there's no there's no uh, you didn't want to change like you you want to finish what you started and and it was also such a great community to, to be a part of and then the only the only time i really thought about quitting uh was uh there's a point when we had four kids and this would have been 1986 or 87 and you know i'm i'm uh, my family comes from a business background and they you know the big business concern in 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 out west and you know Everybody, my parents certainly had hoped that that go into the family business, and and there was a point where I have four kids, and and we just we had we we're living in a basement suite, and we had we had no money. We we're having a lot of fun, and I, I think the kids were raised really well, and you know they're so proud of what they all do now, and and we're all close. Uh, but there was a I I just really thought you know what I probably should think more about the family. And, and, uh, which is a complicated thought process. Cause in hindsight, if I had done that, I don't know if that I would have been happy. And I, right. I don't know if, if that, that certainly would have been, wouldn't have been the best thing for the family. So came pretty close. And then, but we, uh, and at the time we were being managed by Bruce Allen, you know, it's one of the biggest managers in the world and, and doing demos with Bob Rock, who's gone on to, you know, such Yes. top of his game and that, that was our the scene there and uh it was a time in my life where we didn't have money but we were working with these people and they wanted me to get rid of my band the legendary hearts and and they wanted uh so i remember they, correctly, the management yeah management okay. did uh and and i think they might have bless their hearts. I love the guys in Trooper, but I think they wanted to put, you know, like kind of get those guys behind me. Maybe they saw that as a good way. You know, I was, I was young, you know, young, handsome front man and the, the, you know, 
and put these veterans behind and we'd really have a winning combination. And I kind of went, I'm, I, I won't do that for any price. I can't, I don't want this enough. I don't know these, all these guys in the legendary hearts, we've been through the trench warfare together. And we're all of a sudden getting to a place where we might, you know, get a record deal and I'm supposed to walk away from them. I said, I can't do that. And it was one of those great musical uh, <laughs> cliches. It could have been in a movie. I'm, I'm there and Bruce is yelling and telling me I'll never work in this town again. And I'm making this, and you know, Bob Rock's calling me, you're making the worst mistake in your life. You're, what are you, you're walking away from, you know, this, all this, this, you could have, you know, you could have made it and wow. you're walking away from it. And so lost that. And, uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I guess, you know, maybe, maybe the business has kicked my ass and maybe I should just roll over and go work for the family company, have a steady income, stability in our lives. And let's, let's move on to the next chapter. And then you go, but we should try once more. And, uh, <laughs> wait, can and, I ask you about the legendary hearts? Yeah. Would they be like one of your first bands? Um, yeah. So I'm always curious because, you know, I was in a band in high school. And yeah. so you think, let's get a group of friends together and play music and you're not good and then you get better. But that's as far as I, I know. So you've taken that to another level where you get a band together and you've played for a while, whether people stay or not. It goes on for a certain point and then you get into management telling you this is what you should do. How much of that band is more a business than friends like you know you, you start as friends doing this thing at what point is it business well the legendary hearts is pretty pretty friendship based i mean there's because i've continued on in my solo career and we play you know three or four shows a year right. we're still a band we're going to do a bunch of shows around the 30th anniversary of releasing something to live for um there's three of us that are still there, the drummer and the guitar player, Colin Naren. Colin Naren works in management, and he's he looks after Elvis Costello, uh, Ry Cooter, and La Lovett. So he's in those kind of echelons of, and I've been thought like who better to do it than like we again, you know, when I, when I, when I talked earlier about just having to learn everything by trial and freaking error, uh, he. Uh, there's not an aspect of the music business he doesn't know. Now, of course, he works on such an international level. But he, uh, uh, he and there are, our drummer, Jack Guppy, the three of us are right from the beginning, right from 1979. That's when we first got together. So we're not, it's not a thing like, you know, those wonderful stories, like bands like U2 or the, the Rolling Stones, great bands where it just comes together and they're, it's, it's, you know, the sum is so much greater than the, you know, mm -hmm. or the whole is so much greater than the sum of the parts, however you put it. But the three of us are still there, and it's such a bond. Uh, you know, we don't talk a lot, but when we're ever back together, it's just, just like that. And then very quickly, there, there's a few personnel changes, um, uh, and, uh, and then the rest came on board in 19... Uh, Sort of 1990, I think. So, 
it's it's uh, uh, there's a two stage thing, but we're still still all together. So when you're going through this thing where the management and your producer is saying get rid of the band, how much are you relaying that information to the band? Well, uh, the initial thing, there's no way I could relay it to them at all. I mean, that there's a point. There's certain. It's it's you're asked to do something and you're either going to do it and then you're going to have to tell them that you did that. And then that's the end of those friendships, the end of that. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm so for me as a person, I'm, I'm, I'm far happier to be still be friends uh, and compatriots with those guys than I would be to be working with uh, Bruce Allen. Maybe I would have been, uh, you know, like uh, up in, Brian Adams uh, uh, or Loverboy's uh, sort of levels, but I, I would have left friendships. I probably, I probably would have lost my family. You know, it, it's just I, I'm not one of those people where it's I'll, I'll, you know, crawl over whoever just to get to, uh, you know, in pursuit of fame and and wealth and money. It's not me, so. But that speaks volumes for the type of person you are, you know, to make, I mean, maybe it might seem like nothing to you, but I can see other people making that choice of this is my dream. I'm going to go for it. Yeah. And, and, you know, that there will be some wounded and he'll leave them behind. But that's, that's amazing. Well, I mean, and it wasn't nothing to me because it was a hard, like I was, I'm also a person that doesn't really like conflict. And all of a sudden these people were saying, you can't, it was all. It's almost more difficult to stand up to, you know, one of the soon to be one of the best, biggest producers in the world, and one of the biggest managers. And then you know, like myself and my lowly bandmates. Uh, but you know, uh, I and I don't like. I'd I rather you know. Let's all get along. Let's 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 try and work in a consensus way. I mean, that's the way I manage, or I'm a band leader. It's it's I I don't I'm not autocratic. And and I'd rather work things out, but it was it was it was clear to me that that there was there was I it was a simple choice, and that's kind of the way they work. It's a little binary, you know. You either you're going to do this or you're not. Right. And at that that uh, it 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 wasn't an easy decision, but but there was really only one answer if I looked if if in my heart. Right. And that's very important to me. So it's just like I had to I had to go in there and say, I can't do this. I suppose in some ways I hope they would go, okay, let's make it work this way. Right. But it it I I think I I I uh, I intuitively knew that that wasn't an option. They weren't gonna go for that. They had made up their minds. So but not too long after I mean, obviously, you're conflicted about maybe going to your family business, and you now have this conflict with your management and producer, and now you have this issue with the band. But not too long after that, you did release an album that did quite well, because '88 wouldn't have been like a year or two later, right? Yeah, it wasn't. It, it all happened fairly quickly. I mean, what happened is is when that that happened, we we recorded something to live for, uh, and. Uh, there still exists a demo that we did with Bob Rock for that song, but it's quite different. And then, then we just went in and recorded it ourselves. And this is when I said, uh, uh, let's give it one more try. 
as a band and we were popular bar band at that point. So we said, let's do some gigs. Let's, let's, let's raise some money. And there's nobody more desperate than, than myself to go out and pitch the band in Toronto. So we made a video and it started getting, it got played on much music right away. It was a $3,000 video. Then we raised another 3000 from a gig to send me out for a week and because to, to Toronto and because I, we were so engaged in the Vancouver music business, which, you know, like is, is big with, you know, all these, like, you know, I was mentioning La Levitt, Elvis Costello, right. These, all these people are managed out of Vancouver. I mean, so there is a strong, <laughs> hugely strong scene. But it was good. We I went out to Toronto, and because we had a video on the on Much Music, which was so key to the music industry back then, incredibly influential. I could see everybody, and I lived in a sh- you know I stayed in a shitty little motel near the Maple Leaf Gardens, and I would have appointments uh, every day, and I would just be pitching the hell out of out of what we were doing. And uh, it's funny. So this I, is to get a record deal or to, to get, get a record deal, record deal management. If it was going to be there, I like, I just wanted a record deal. I figured if we got a record deal, we could get management. Often record companies back then wanted management. So it's a little bit of a, it was pretty funny too, because just a little sidebar. I have caps on my two front teeth. I got them knocked out when I was a kid. I ended up, you know, I was eating one night and they shattered. I had no front teeth. So I've got appointments all week with all the major labels. As I say, everybody would see me. It's like, okay, who's this? Who's this? This band? Like they're they're you know getting played and you know and then as I was went out and did interviews and much music and but I got no teeth and I've got these no front teeth <laughs> and I and I had to go in and it was a bit of a game. Like so I started my pitch and then I, I'd wait for a while and then I'd go, you know. Uh, I know this is kind of funny, but <laughs> this is what happened. My my caps broke, and and it was kind of funny. I mean, I I I, and then I, I just I wouldn't quit till closing time. And then uh, I remember one one night it was right near the end, and I had lots of positive response, but n- nothing was happening. And I, I think it was on a Thursday night of that week. I at quarter after six, I called Bernie Finkelstein, because his assistant was really hyping him for you know like. You got to You got to look at these guys. This, this is, and he didn't want anything to do with it. And I, I called it quarter after six because I just said nothing. I was just facing a lonely evening in this shitty little hotel. And and uh, uh, he picked up the phone. I learned a lot from that. I thought he's the kind of guy he'd be. He wouldn't leave till everybody left. And he picked up the phone, and I went for it. You know, like <laughs> just like I, I just. I was so desperate. And then finally he said, you know, look, you can come in and see me tomorrow, but just, you know, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> I said, okay. I came in and talked to him and he sent me over to Sony or Epic or Columbia, the whole umbrella of that. And, uh, and then by that, that was like, the, like over the next day, I had a management deal with Bernie and, and a record deal with, with uh, Columbia at the time. Wow. So that, you know, and that, and, and I went home and the whole camp, the Vancouver camp, Bruce Allen and, and, and Sam Feldman, all those guys, they, they were like, they were just they, like, they went, what the fuck happened here? Like, you know, like, how did this happen? 
And they were all, and you know what? I, I still get along with everybody. Like I, I, I work pretty hard at that. Like if I'm, if I'm going to let somebody go, I do it in person. And I, I, I just, that's the way I roll. So Sam and I, Sam's great, you know, but they, they were all like, why, you know, how did this happen? They were particularly, I think, upset that the Toronto people had got this Vancouver act and, and signed it. Tell me about the split between East and West is Central and West. I mean, was there was that a really a big deal that the Vancouver people thought maybe you had betrayed them because you left them and got signed to somebody in Toronto? Well, they would have been highly arrogant if they thought we betrayed them. Right. Uh, you know, like uh, they were still our agent and continued to be our agent. Uh, that stayed in Vancouver. And, and then, you know, what was great for, for us is that we all of a sudden, well, there's this amazing Toronto scene. So we became, uh, we became, then the, the whole country became, uh, I'm just not regionalist. I, you know, I consider myself a Westerner, but I love it here in Toronto. And then all of a sudden we were in, we were all of a sudden brought into a whole new musical world where everybody loved our band. Everybody loved the character of it, the unique individuals. And, and like, so all of a sudden we went from a feeling like I, you know, are these guys that I love and we've worked with together, are they some sort of anchor dragging me down? Or I'll, we get out to Toronto and it's like, no, this is a really cool rock and roll band and a fantastic rock and roll band because we really paid our dues. And that's when that was that was such a such a uh, such a an important moment for me. And I went, okay, that's 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 what you do. You know, you 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 stand by your beliefs. And uh, so that was really great. I mean, there's still uh, and then then you know we'll bring this back full circle to family in terms of how you convince them to that you know you're making the right move well success does it i mean i remember when like all of a sudden we were hard on the family because your your life changes completely when you have when you have hits mm-hmm. and you're traveling all over the place you're and you got a family at home like it's it's again no mentorship nobody and nobody in the record company or management going okay let's go out for three weeks you know it's let's really cover the country and then Make sure you go home and look after that too, because we're in this for the long run. <laughs> Quite frankly, nobody back then gave a shit about it. They mm-hmm. wouldn't. They wouldn't publicize. They they were they falsified my age, like because because I was in my early thirties. They put me at twenty nine. No mention of a wife and kids, not whatsoever, in the publicity. And whereas now you see entertainers they talk about that all the time you mm-hmm. know like nobody's no but back then it was it was it was all about i guess selling you know it was it was a s- sexual sell too you know like so uh so that's really that's its own you know thing you have to contend with but but in terms of my my parents and stuff there was one one week where i was on Mor- morningside with peter zosky and and then i was in the people section of mclean's and they sort of called and went wow we're really proud of what you're doing and i went whoa how did that change? who is this who is this <laughs> so then that's and then it then it kind of goes on and then you know you you 
you work your way through life and, 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 you know, if, if the type of person I am, I, I try and try and kind of heal or work through any of those, those conflicts or those wounds and, and just try and try and bring it, you know, all back together, which, which I did, you know, I mean, my dad and I got along great at the end. He lived to a ripe old age of 94 and, wow. and, uh, you know, I don't know that he ever completely understood what I did. And it's not like they came to gigs. They probably came and saw me twice. Right. But, but uh, you know, at the end, we were close. So so tell me about, you have this video playing. People like the song. There's got to be a lag between that moment and getting management and getting the out record out there. Well, yeah, because we had the video, the, the independent video, and uh, that got played. And then we went and made the record, and then we did a high-budget video for it. But nobody minded. Like it was kind of like everybody. There's all of a sudden this new video out for the same song. That was fine, and then we did a, a bunch of videos followed, and you know, really we were on a record label. It was it was it was halcyon days for 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 uh, a music career. If you once you got signed, mm-hmm. back in Vancouver, I swear there was you know like if there's there's you'd be downtown, Katie Lang would be playing in one place. Colin James, this young guy, Colin James, playing fifty four forty ourselves punk bands, DOA, all these, these, you know, sort of institutions. And it was like, everybody was going, nobody was, nobody was going, I'll help you, you help me. Unless you had, you know, like, unless you had friendships within the bands, everybody was like, it was as if we were chasing one record contract. And, but there was a certain truth to that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not... Not not many people were getting, you know, Brian right. Adams had a record deal. All of a sudden, you know, Katie Lang got signed and, and you know, there's nothing you, you could, no bushel you could hide her talent under. And uh, I remember where our studio was, Sarah McLaughlin was working in the coffee shop, you know, like, and I had no idea she played music. <laughs> and she'd go, she'd talk to me about, you know, about music. And I, I mean, this, this stuff is just so funny to me. When I look back at it, but we were—it was competitive. It was, com- and and that was a great thing about getting out to Toronto because we were, well, a, we had a record deal, and then the thing about when we signed to uh, Columbia, I'll refer to it as Sony now because that's how everybody knows it. Yeah. But, but we were the young, uh, sort of edgy uh, act. They had there was it was Loverboy, Celine Dion. Larry Gowan, we got signed, and there was a French Canadian band, Heart Rouge. That was all that was on that label. So you can imagine, and we were kind of this, we were this rebellious little outfit from Vancouver, and we really worked well with the record company, and everybody loved us. So they were trying, you know, and and Celine Dion was her own juggernaut, same with Loverboy. Mm -hmm. So we got so much attention. So when you're asking how to, how do you get to that point? You know, we had one of the biggest record companies in the world behind us. And so within weeks, everybody in the Vancouver scene knew we were, you know, we, we had we had a hit across the country and we went on tour across the country. I mean, it was a little, there'd be times where you felt like there were the Beatles and times you felt like, whoa. <laughs> if there was no radio play and there was, I just remember there were two, Two cities. There was Edmonton and uh, 
Saskatoon that were the rock radio stations were programmed out of the States. There was something and they, for whatever reason, they didn't add our song. So we were playing Calgary and we really felt like, Oh, this is what it's like. <laughs> you roll into a town instead of building up your fan base over tons of club gigs in, in Vancouver, you'd go, you'd roll into Calgary or Winnipeg or, or Toronto. And there'd be people there just, you know, going nuts. And then you'd go to Edmonton, there'd be 10 people at the club. There was just those two quirky markets. It was so funny. And uh, so there'd be a little, and then there'd be the, the, all the, the, the part of rock and roll that you learn, you know, you're traveling across in a van across Canada. And, uh, it's, and, and it seemed so magical to me. It seemed, you know, you'd be so tired, you would sleep uh on your jacket in between on the floor between the seats of the van i mean it's these stories are as old as you know well traveling troubadours or or theater people you know it's just the way it goes you have to travel how did you work it out with your family because all of a sudden you're successful now you're traveling a lot you're probably doing more than three weeks at a time and you're not getting home very often how difficult was that? Well, I, I, we're still together, which is, I, I you know, I, I consider a far greater achievement than anything I've achieved musically, you know, because I'm not a world-famous star at all. I, you know, I, I kind of know where I, I am within the the whole, the echelons of, 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 of rock and roll. But, uh, and I, I would... It's more important to me, family than than fame. Right. Uh, so, but you know what? I you you kind of lose your head uh, when you like all of a sudden you're you're going. I am a big. I am the shit. <laughs> like I, all of a sudden, because everywhere you're going, it's like. You know, you're calling home and went. Oh, you, you know, Leonard Cohen was on the same, um, same label, and he was touring at the same time. So I, I everybody you know knew each other, and we'd go to. Leonard Cohen shows and I was just hanging out with Leonard Cohen you know last night and you know <laughs> your wife's going yeah I'm just doing laundry here and you know like trying to you know look after four gnarly kids I you know I I she is absolutely one of the most remarkable people I've ever met and you know we've made it through mm-hmm. but definitely that was not an easy time there's no there's no doubt about that. Did you know what success would mean? Like when this happened, did you have any idea how it would change you or how it would affect you or how things would be, how it would be perceived differently? Mm. Again, it's a theme. It's no mentorship. Right. I, I never had once. I remember one from my manager, Bernie. I remember one time, because I got a scathing review in the Globe and Mail. I can still almost remember it verbatim. Uh, it probably affected me that much. And because uh, generally press was really good. Uh, but I um, I remember him just saying to me, look, kid, you know, if you're going to remember, be careful what you believe. You believe the good ones, you believe the bad ones. You've, you've got to sort of, you know, look at it all in an objective way. It was just some piece of advice. And I... It helped me. And as far as I can see, that's the only piece of advice I got. 
Uh, in terms of, not in terms of, you know, people would say, you know, this, your stage show, you know, maybe do this, that, blah, blah, blah. The song, the song isn't strong enough. Yada, yada. Who should produce the record? Freaking gallons of advice in that, in that regard mm -hmm. that you had to sift through. But nobody said, okay, you're going to, this is going to be a bit of a whirlwind. So, you know, maybe here's some, here's some coping strategies. It's interesting to me because nobody seemed to care at all about whether I held my family together or not. You know, I mean, I'm just thinking of that right now. It, it, when I look back, I really didn't see anybody uh, with that on their radar. That was up to me. Did you ever feel like a product? Oh, God, yeah. I mean, you know... I, at the same time, I, the presidents of, of Sony at the time, we would all go to dinner and they were, they're, they're wonderful people. I really enjoyed being with them. And, and I felt like the conversations, you know, to go out with all these, these people, Bernie and the record execs, they were great people. And I think, I don't, th I don't think it's malicious. It, you know, they probably just felt like, well, he'll, he'll figure it out. He seems like a strong individual. But nobody was nobody was going. Uh, you know, this is what you got to expect here, and and you know, it's it's uh, uh, you might uh, you might get burned out here. I mean, I I remember when we that something left where we toured incessantly for a year, and uh, and then I went down for a promo tour in the states, and they released something to live for, second most added record behind Free Falling by Tom Petty. And I'm thinking, oh my God, here we go. And I'm on a promo tour and all of a sudden I'm with the big brass at Columbia in the States. And, you know, like you feel like you're kind of in an episode of The Sopranos. <laughs> and they sort of said to me, they said to me, this is a great start. Let's make a record with an American producer and we'll really get at it. And then at that point I went, you know, I, that's a great idea because I felt like I could go home. Whereas if you were strictly focused on business and if I didn't have a family, that would have been the time to strike. There's no doubt in my mind, if we had gone for it in America, then we would have had a career there. That's what Loverboy did. That's what Bare Naked Ladies did. They went for it at those points. And uh, I didn't. Because I think largely because I knew if I did, if, we, if, if I didn't have a family, I would have gone for it. Right. There's no doubt I would have gone for it because it would have been super fun. But I, and, and I would have probably had a very different life. But I knew down deep if I don't go home now and try and try and figure out a way to engage in the you know family and really be part of it it's probably gone how i mean i can't even imagine how difficult that decision would have been but how important was the idea of making it in the states or elsewhere to you well everybody we were you know it was a common complaint back then because you know you really felt if you and you know there was a very prominent example of it staring all of us in the face and that was that was Brian Adams and Loverboy. Those those were examples were huge, mm -hmm. and so uh, and that's that's the way that whole and I'd left that camp. That was the Bruce Allen camp. Right. I'd 
I'd left it unceremoniously. And um, so I think we all felt like certainly within when in our camp, we go, it's, we got it. That's what we got to do. And we got when the word came out that they were releasing something to live for and putting radio money behind it, because believe me, Paola was right. in fully engaged back then. And like the word went around the industry. It's like, holy smokes. They, they were they were that was big news that it got, it had such high numbers for being added and, uh, it would have just need, it would have needed follow up. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it, uh, we all talked, I mean, we all talked, it's like, okay, we got to get a record deal in the States. Cause, and, and there was, I, I know I was conflicted in that way. I went, you know, yeah, we got to get a record deal in the States. And I go, I know how hard it was to to tour, be the front man, have to do all the publicity. There's part of me like I felt that that was always a hard thing. If you're the front man, it's like I feel like nobody's doing I do all the interviews and believe me, it was like you would be woken up from your bus and when you all of a sudden started traveling in a bus, which was kind of luxurious. But you'd get woken up, you get taken interviews, you do an in-store at noon, you do more interviews, and then you go do the show. I mean, you had to, I'm, I'm a strong person, but, you know, like at this age, there's no way you could do that. You, you'd, you'd <laughs> drive you right, you needed youth. And um, so everybody wanted to be successful in the States, and I, I, I sort of felt like, I, I don't know if, if I can do that with a family, you know. Okay, so, I mean, once again, I think it's character that, that made you think that, that it wasn't all about fame, it's family, and I'm not sure how the rest of the band felt about that. But at one point, you decided to start a cattle farm. Yeah. 97, I think. Uh, no, it was around 2000 okay. that I... Because we, we had, uh, you know, things have been so wonderful with Sony, but I just, we got caught in a crossfire on the, the record between management and and the a new president that came in and it was, it was a sad day for me because they, you know, we were just released do, uh, do you one of our biggest singles and a company that had been so behind us all of a sudden maliciously sort of went, they're not going to help that. Wow. And it was, that was really, that was, that was heartbreaking for me. Uh, that was, it was also a real profound learning experience. You know, um, it was a betrayal. And it had nothing to do with me. It was it was a fight between my manager and, and the record company. And uh, I so we put out another record, and then we then the only thing I could think to do because you couldn't get out of record deals the day I, I had to leave Bernie, who I really liked. Right. And then it still didn't. There was you know more treachery because they didn't that didn't make the difference, and I. So at a certain point, I, I had to leave, and I, and I was just, I worked so hard at this, and then that happened. Uh, again, if you know, like if I was, if I was counseling somebody, it was just like, okay, take a bit of a break. Let's still work together. Let's, you know, like, guy, it's not going to hurt if you kind of step back for two, you know, a year and a half, two years. Get your, figure out if you can all make it all work and write and get some new perspective on things and then let's do it again it was just like i i went i can't believe this happened and i all of a sudden we released a 
I mean, despite no promotion with the a record Gin Palace, it went gold and and uh and then we recorded another one and and it just nothing happened with it. And and it and it and I just went, mm. you know what? I love I had a recreational kind of ranch which I still have and then the working ranch in the area came up and I just I love being out on a horse and doing that sort of thing and I thought, you know what, I'm gonna let's Let's do this. I'll continue to play. I never thought I never thought of quitting music, but I just thought let's scale it back and I just want to I want to do something. I don't want I want to do something different, you know, in in conjunction with it cuz I've just given so much to to music and and did that and it was it was really interesting. I have no regrets. Not a great career move. I'm, you know, it's it was just I lost a lot of ground both with the the, you know, the way it ended with the record company and then pulling myself out for six years. But boy, I learned a lot about life and, and, you know, it creates a hell of an, it was interesting stories. There's no, and highly unusual. I know. I mean, I, I mean, that's, it's, it's an interesting talking point because people go, what, you know, it's, it's like my son, Dustin, who makes records. He, he makes custom made leather boots now. That's a good story, and that's you know maybe maybe that's the way we're built as a family. We like to work with our hands. We we do different things, but you know, write songs and 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 go out and perform them. Did you give up music completely, or did you just play? No, I, I would say I I'd, I'd still play. I always kept my hand in it, like but but you know I'd probably scale back to about twenty shows a year. I think I I knew that if I didn't play. I'd, I'd lose it and, and I would not, you know, it's, it's so funny people. I, if I quit music, I don't know if I'd play. It, that seems really strange because I play all the time and, and I, and I, uh, um, and it, it's important to me, but I think if you don't have, I, I don't, really feel for Paul Hyde from the Paolis. He's such a lovely guy, but he will not perform. It's just too, it, it, it creates so much anxiety that he couldn't do it. For a while, he did a little bit, tried, but it was just, he got to that point. So as far as I'm concerned, if I stop performing or if I don't perform, you know, on a regular basis, I will, I will lose that you know, kind of ability to do it. Uh, it'll take too much prep to get ready. I kind of like to be always in sort of a reasonable, uh, you know, fighting fit form for it. And then I, and then I can do it, you know? Uh, so, so like I say, if it's, if I stopped, when I pick up my guitar and write a song, no, it's, it would be too many. It was like, you know, if you broke your relationship broke up, you know, like, are you going to keep it? it, it I, I think I just, I wouldn't do that. So the only solution is to keep doing it. And, and I, and I think I knew that back then. So I kept my hand in the game. Uh, and, um, and then at a certain point it was Jim Cuddy at, in 2006 said, you know, let's go make a record, you know, blue rodeo will be the band and let's, let's do this. And, and I'm really grateful for that because that's one of my favorite records I made, Gift Horse. We went in and did that, and I love that record. It's and and uh, you know, plus I was at a point in the farm where I went. You know, I'd like to tell the story of one time I was fixing a hay baler, like this big baler, and it was plugged. 
and it was dusty and hot in the summer and I was underneath plugging this and I had the radio station on and the local radio, Kamloops radio station played, was playing one of my songs and I went, what the fuck am I doing? You know, like, let's, let's, I, I got to get back out there. I can do this again. Let's, let's do this. And then we sold, we sold the working ranch and, uh, and I was glad for that because, and then I made this record with Jim and came back with a new kind of idea of where I wanted to go, which I'm super happy about, you know? Um, Did you give up? Writing songs? Because I think of you as a songwriter, and I can't yeah. imagine if you're... I, I would imagine, like anything else, it's something you keep working at. But did you write less songs during this period? Totally. But the songs I wrote, they, they feel very real to me. Very real to me. And they're all in that Gift Horse record. So I... I, uh, I It just changed. I mean, we used to do it. We were... You know, we followed that thing. You got to, you know, you got to write all the time. You go, it's like a day job. You go write songs. And I feel like I learned my craft doing that. Now I just write when it's sort of, it hits me. I'll be, when you know what? I'm about to, I'm going to make a new record soon. So I'll, I'll closet myself away for a bit and kind of finish a bunch of the things that I've been working on and, and do some more writing and get to a place where I think, okay, I've got, I've got, I've got a collection of songs. They're starting to talk to each other. There's something to hang it on. But God, music, the whole music scene is in such, it's, it's, it's different now. So mm-hmm. I still think in terms of albums. I mean, truth be told, I think I still think in terms of uh, half sides of, 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 of a body of work, you know, like right. the uh, an side A one, side and a B two. side. Yeah. I like that. I think there's not, I mean, I'm glad people are listening to vinyl again because I like that it's an editor for how much material you can put on, which is good. Because sometimes, you know, when you get a 15 song CD, it's like, I, I, that's too much. (laughs) And then, and then, you know, like you've also got a breath in the, you know, so you put together this, you know, kind of chapter with these sections and then you, you are, or or a half of a book, part one and part two. I like that. But so I, I'm, um, um, I, I, I write and I think about, but you know, I could build a table or like draw. It's kind of all the same. That's where I see my son. He makes a pair of boots, and I go, "That's so creative. That's just wonderful to see." And you know, believe me, singer songwriters are are everywhere. They're crawling out of the woodwork everywhere. So to be a, a custom made boot maker, that's I can see when people hear about it. You know, like and I go. Yeah, and I'm wearing these. He built. He made these boots. They go. You know, it's a little different reaction than. Uh, hey, I wrote another song. Right. So. Um, what's it like playing with your son? Oh, great! I love it. I mean, uh, we do a bunch. We do these trips. Jim Cuddy and I, and and his sons are there, and often my son, and we have just a great. We've got a huge repertoire of, kind of old bluegrass songs. You name it, stuff. Jackson Brown. We we and we all play together. And my my son uh, was in my band all summer, which was great. He's a great guitar player, and you know, brings the average age of the band down, which is kind of cool. But <laughs> but knowing the business the way you do, and having gone through the ups and downs of it, when your son says, "I want to do this," and you can be a mentor to him, yeah. Um, how easy is it for you to give advice and how cautious are you on behalf of your son? 
Uh, you know what? We had a pretty simple arrangement that way. Number one, I don't give a lot of advice. But if ever he needed to talk to me, I'm always there. If he had a question, I think he's got to he's got to find his own way. But I don't go. You know, I, I laugh one time right at the beginning. I watched one of his first gigs. And just the bass player was horrendous. And I, I went up to him and I go, yeah, well, that was that was good and interesting. I got, and, you know, I th- probably couched it and I don't give a lot of advice. But, uh, and you know, Dust, I don't give a lot of advice. But always make sure your bass player is rehearsed. Because the drummer can fuck up. The guitar player can, you know, screw up. But you really notice when the bass player makes mistakes. Just make sure you got them rehearsed. You know, that, that, and then, you know, and, and, um, look after yourself, you know, a few things, but it's, it's great. Uh, and then the rest is, I think I, to the best of my ability, I tried to lead by example. It's an imperfect science. Mm-hmm. I should probably leave it at that. Cause I've got to get going. Thank you so much you're, for doing this. You're very welcome. It's a real honor to meet you and yeah. talk to you. Oh, thank, well, you, thank you. You're very welcome. Mm-hmm.